Well, good morning, Timber Creek. How's everyone doing this morning? That was terrible. Nacogdoches, I hope you did way better than that. Good morning, Timber Creek. How's everyone doing this morning? <laughs> it's always the second time. Always the second. It's so great to be with all of you this morning as we finish this last Sunday of Made for Mondays. We've enjoyed uh, three weeks so far of an incredible series that's trying to teach us how to not just survive in our workplace but thrive. And I'm really praying and believing that, that this is a, a good exclamation mark on this series as I do believe that God has some things he wants to say to all of us about what we do and how we live our lives. What I found is, is it doesn't matter how much courage we have. It doesn't matter how good that we good at resolving conflict. It doesn't even really matter if we become the chief culture curators at our place of employment. Because if we are not in the place that God has called us to, we will never feel made for Mondays. And as great as the team, I mean, we've learned some incredible things about courage and how to show up and, and be willing to fight the good fight. And, and, and we learned how to tell Be Becky to back off, Be back off Becky uh, in week two, where we learned how to deal with conflict. In fact, th that teaching on conflict, that's good for marriages. That's good for friendships. That is just a really good teaching on how to deal with Becky's in our lives. Uh, but then the third week, Pastor Jeremy did an incredible job talking about culture and how we as Christians have this incredible responsibility to bring the fullness of who Jesus is into every environment, including our workplace, in such a way that the environment changes because of the culture you bring, the, the, the thermostat you set. And while all of those are so important, and I really do believe that each one of those things help us uh, become more made for Mondays. I believe that the, the, the other thing still is true, that you can be really good at all three of those things, but if you are not in the place that God has created you to be, you will never feel excited about Mondays. So today, I want to talk to you about something called calling. Say calling. Now, calling can be uh, kind of a scary thing to a lot of people, but my hope today is to help us to understand calling. It's important for all of us to understand that as Christ followers, we are saved for more than just barely making it to heaven. Jesus did not just come suffer and die on the cross so that we could make it to heaven. Now, how many of you know making it to heaven is a really good thing? <laughs> amen. Oh, I got some amens on that. None of us want to go to the other place. We're so thankful for what he did. We're so thankful for salvation. But you need to understand this morning that Jesus created you more for, than just salvation. He created each one of us on purpose and with purpose. And what I want everyone at the sound of my voice to hear this morning, from my left to my right to Nacogdoches to guys, all of you at Dieball and Duncan, I need every one of you to hear and understand a very important truth. And that's you were created for more than, mon than the mundane. You were created for more than the mundane. How many of you guys remember that sermon where Pastor Jeremy um, blew all of our minds and we will never see ketchup ever the same ever again? <laughs> when he did that sermon, when he took the little paper cups, you know, the ones that have pleats in them, and he, he pulled them all apart. How many of you knew that? How many of you knew that they did that? Liars. All these liars sitting here in the house of God. I'm telling you, he did that, and it just revolutionized my world. I, we can't go, my daughter and I can't go to a restaurant without Victoria. She'll take the paper cups, and she'll pull them all the way open, and she'll be pumping the ketchup, and she'll look at me, and she'll say, Mama, just remember, you were made for more. Every time. 
every time. Because the truth of the matter is you were made for more. And I get really excited about the topic today because I firmly believe that every single person who calls Jesus Christ Lord, I actually believe every human on this earth was created on purpose, for purpose, to do great things for Jesus Christ. The problem is many, many Christians do not understand why God created them. They understand that he's savior. They understand he wants to take away their sins, but they literally kind of get stuck at this place of just salvation and they never begin to truly walk in their destiny. What Jesus Christ made you to do, what's going to bring you ultimate fulfillment, what he put in you and how to use it to bring glory to his name. There's so much more than just coming to church for today's Christian. In fact, I love this scripture in Ephesians 2.10. Now, Paul's talking to a group of Christians just like I'm talking to you today. And he says, guys, listen. This is what he says. That's basically what he's saying. And he said, we are God's masterpiece. Say masterpiece. Are masterpieces cheap or expensive? They're expensive, aren't they? Because there's nothing else like that in the entire world. There's, there are copies of Mona Lisa, but there's only one authentic Mona Lisa. There are, there are cheap replicas of lots of different things from the Titanic. But the valuable pieces are the masterpieces that are the original. And today I'm looking at a room full, and in my heart, looking at a room full of masterpieces in Nacogdoches and all of our other locations. All in this room are masterpieces. There's not anyone else in the room like you. There's not anyone else in the room made with your story. There's not anyone else in the room with the fingerprints on your hands. But there's also no one else in this room that knows that Jesus Christ the way you do because of your story, because of your healing, because of your deliverance, because of your salvation, because of his provision in your life. What he has put in you is unique and it's special and it's to be stewarded well for the master's use and when you begin to understand that truth that I'm made for more I'm made for more than just faith that I'm made with purpose I'm made on purpose and Jesus and I have some stuff to get done together when you grab hold of that truth it changes you it changes the way you feel about Monday because Mondays can be mundane and they can be miserable when you're not in alignment with your mission. You will never feel made for Mondays if your mission is not in alignment with what he's called you to do. Your Mondays, oh, come on, church, are you hearing me this morning? Do you understand that what you do with the majority of your life is so much more rewarding when, you're, when it's in alignment with his mission for you? When at least 50% of what you work on each day uses the gifts and the talents and the passions and the abilities that God has put in your life. We're made for more as Christians. We're made for mission. Jeremiah 29 11 says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He knows them. Do you? He says they're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. They're not going to scare you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Now, the purpose of the calling is twofold. 
It's twofold. The first purpose of the calling, why does God call us? Why does he want us to do more than just believe? The first reason is because, number one, he wants it for your fulfillment and your enjoyment. Have you ever been around Christians that are just saved, but yet they're miserable? Have you ever, and none, none, of you, none of you in this room, right? It's your neighbor. It's your neighbor. And we have spouses elbowing each other right now to each other. Don't do that in church. Have you ever been around a Christian, though, that, oh, my goodness, every time you're around them, it's like you leave and you feel like you just uh, were sharpened. You feel so refreshed. It's like you just got a shower. You just feel so clean. You feel so good every time you talk to them. Do you want to know why that is? When you understand your calling and you understand your purpose, you've got passion. You've got conviction. You've got victories to share. You've got faith that's incredibly deep. I mean, I'm telling you, those kind of Christians are the kind of Christians we want to see at Timber Creek Church. Christians that are made for more. Christians that understand that the second reason of fulfillment of the calling is because your mission is our God-given potential here. We believe that with everything in us. Oh, come on. We believe your God-given potential is our mission. It's not just a catchy slogan. I mean, do you understand why we're working so hard right now, Duncan and Dieball, to bring you starting point? And we're getting ready to start an encounter, by the way, at Dieball in April. We're getting starting point going at Duncan. We're working right now tirelessly at Nacogdoches. To, we just launched groups for the first time in Nacogdoches. We've got hundreds of people in groups right now in Nacogdoches. Starting point, get this. Oh, you wanted to clap. I'm so sorry. It's exciting, isn't it? Do you know that in Dieball, they have starting point now? They just had 47 guys graduate starting point. <laughs> that we just started all of our next steps. Do you know that we have over a third of our people involved in next steps ministries here at Timber Creek Church? That means we've got people graduating like crazy and starting point. We've got grow track. It's so full. You can still join us on Wednesday night at Lufkin location at seven o'clock PM in the chapel. <laughs> Woo! There we go. Nacogdoches, you can join us seven o'clock. But do you want to know why this is so exciting? Because people are hungry to identify their God-given potential. I think you guys believe us when we say you're made for more. And the fact that we had to roll out numerous tables in there because we didn't have enough room for everyone in Grow Track 1. Do you know Grow Track 2 and 3 are bursting at the seams? Do you know that Encounter has over 150 people in it right now? Over 150 people in Encounter at the Lufkin location. We've got a table of Nacogdoches uh, congregants in there. It's incredible to see all of this going on here at Timber Creek Church. You want to know why I get so stinking excited? It's because you were made for more. You were made for more than the mundane. And here at Timber Creek Church, your God-given potentials are mission. So much so we create all of these simple next steps so that you can truly identify who he is in you, who you are in him, and so that you and him can lock arms and begin to go do great things for him. I believe, <laughs> I believe that this church is called, as our senior pastor so powerfully reminds us, that we're truly called to be a community destination where anyone can find and follow Jesus. Guess what, Timber Creek? You're a community destination. 
You're a community destination. All of us in this room are hundreds and thousands of community destinations that should be in alignment with their mission, that are finding fulfillment, that are so excited about what God is doing in your own marriage, in your own family, in your own kids, that people at work are coming to you for advice. And they're coming to you at the water cooler, not to gossip, but to get a fresh drink of whatever you have going on. Because you're made for more. You're made for more because you're called. You're created with a calling of God put inside of you. Now, there are a few misconceptions about the calling. I need to go over just real quick. And the first, these we're going to have to like step over to get to where we want to be today. Because these misconceptions will trip you up and keep you from understanding your God-given potential and fulfilling it. The first misconception is this. Um, God has only, calling has only to do with people called into full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. I know what you're thinking. Well, Pastor Tally, that's easy for you because you're a full-time pastor. I mean, you're supposed to be passionate about calling because you're called to full-time ministry. God, some of you may be thinking, God only speaks to people who are called to go do full-time ministry for him. And yet, I have a book right here called The Bible that has hundreds and hundreds of stories of regular, ordinary people, like all of us in here, by the way, including myself, that were clearly called to do big things for God, to make a difference. So that misconception is not true. We are equally created in his image. And you don't get off the hook just because you're not called a full-time ministry. He has a calling and a purpose for everyone. And every calling is equally important to fulfill and live out. Why? Because when you have thousands and millions of Christians who understand what they're called to do, they begin to use the gifts and the things inside of them to do it. I believe that casts the brightest light into the greatest darkness in this world. And I believe that a church like that can truly make a difference in their world. Another misconception is that some people think that to understand God's purpose or calling is going to be hard and confusing, if not next to impossible. I mean, next to impossible. And other people, maybe you feel like you're too young or you're too old. And so what I've noticed is young people can do this on accident. Surely none of us in the room, none of our young people. But some young people at other churches may do this. They may say, I'm 16 years old, 15, and really, I'm not ready to start living fully for God and, like, really hearing what he has for my life because, like, I don't really want to, like, compromise in any way. I want to do what I want to do. So I'm going to live how I want until I'm, like, eh, 23. I probably have my degree by then. Probably get ready to get married. And that's when I'm going to really sink my teeth down into this whole thing Pastor Talia is talking about calling. Can the 40-year-old woman share a little bit of advice with you young people? What I hear and see, and what I've had to counsel, is the unfortunate damage that happens in the life of a young person between 16 and 25 when they so-called just wanted to enjoy themselves. So now when they're 23 and I'm ready to do, do what God's called me to do, now I've got all this baggage. Say baggage. And it's baggage. 
It's baggage that now I've got to unpack. It's hurt now that I need God to heal. It's pieces of myself inside of all these other people because I just had to do it my way and not God's way. And now, now you're 23, but it's going to take you two years or three years to get on track so you can even understand what God wants you to do and be whole enough to do it. So young people, hear my advice. Sin is fun for a season, but there's nothing more exhilarating and fulfilling than doing what God has created you to do. Another, another age group in here is those who feel like they're too old. And what I love about the story of a man named Caleb, he's 85 years old. He looks at Joshua and he's like, I still have work that I want to do. In fact, Josh, I feel like I'm just getting started, this 85-year-old man said in the Bible. He said, I feel just as excited, I feel just as envisioned and impassioned and physically strong and spiritually like charged to go do what God's called me to do at 85 as I did when I first got started. Put me in, coach. Put me in. We're the Caleb's of Timber Creek Church in the room. Oh, nobody wants to raise your hand if you're 85 and older. But can I say something to the older generation? You have what the younger generation needs to hear. Yes, and there's, there's riches and treasure chests of knowledge and stories of faith that the young generation will miss out on if you don't step into your God-given potential and own it until the day you die and get in the grow tracks and get in groups and get into to the different dream teams and be an encounter and pour in to the next generation. We cannot let misconceptions become obstacles that keep us from pursuing our God-given potential. And here's why. God, Jesus Christ died and he suffered. He went through so much for us, didn't he? But I believe that not only did he have your face in mind when he suffered and died, I believe he was thinking about all of the things that his death and resurrection was going to allow you to do with and for him as a result. And, and, and we don't want you to miss out on any of those great Things that God has for your life. So in order to get into alignment with your mission, in order to see your calling fulfilled, you're going to have to do something. You ready? You're going to have to get on the bus. Look at your neighbor and say, get on the bus. Get on the bus, Becky. Oh, Becky has been causing us all kinds of problems through this series. She was the source of conflict, and now Becky Becky is out of alignment with her mission, and we need Becky to get on track, but Becky has got to get on the bus to get on track, and there are three buses that Becky has to choose from, and so do you. The first bus is the right bus. Oh, this is a good one. Oh, this is, this is like the place to be. This bus is the right bus with the right seat headed towards the right destination. Oh, goodness. What a great place to be. Now, in your notes, look underneath the section, and I'm going to explain to you what those three things are. The bus represents your company, your organization, could be your place of employment, but guess what else it represents, you guys? It could be the ministry you serve in. That's your bus. Your bus is the vehicle that takes you to your destination. Now, let's look at the seat for a moment. Now, how many of you would agree it's probably pretty important to get on the right bus? But number two, the seat is also super important because the seat represents your current role within your place of employment. 
or your ministry. It's your job description. It's what you do in that place. And your destination, your destination is where God wants you to be. Doing what God wants you to do. So we have three buses we can choose from. I may throw in a fourth because I guess I can do that. I'm preaching it this morning. But number one, this is the best place to be. And this is the place, this is the bus that takes you to where you're supposed to go. In fact, this bus, it has a seat that's customized for your blessed assurance. It's that kind of seat. It's like your lazy boy at home or that, that special chair that grandkids know not to sit in. It's that place in our TV room. We bought a new couch and the, and the sofa already has an indention where Pastor Alvin and Victoria always sit. Drives me crazy. I mean, I go in there because, you know, I'm a little OCD, those of you who know me a little bit. And I have to fluff the cushion like this. And then I look and all the others are off. And I walk down the couch and I push them all in evenly. Then I get the one cushion and I pull it out and I fluff the backside of it. Because they sit there so much that it's, it's becoming perfectly fit to their bodies. It drives me crazy. But they love to sit there because it, it's their seat. It feels just right. And God wants you to not only be on the right bus, he wants you to be in the right seat. This means that where you're sitting is not only taking you to where God's called you to be. It's not even just about getting there. It's about enjoying the ride as you go, people. It's your, your seat has everything to do with your shape. The gifts that God's given you, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences. Do you understand that all of those things you've been through and all of those things that drive your spouse crazy are probably really the things that God has put in you that help make you so capable of accomplishing his calling for your life? So the right, be, right bus with the right seat going in the right direction, going on the right towards the right destination. But there's a second bus. You ready? This is the right bus, but you're in the wrong seat. Still going to your right destination, folks. Right destination. But you're in the wrong seat. In fact, this is a very common place for people to be. It's not that you're not called to be where you've been for 10 years. I've been here 21 years on staff. 21 years. I know I don't look that old to have been there. 21 years. You're supposed to laugh hysterically in that moment, but you did not, <laughs> which tells me I look 40. Okay. Thank you, Timber Creek. But the truth of the matter is that this has been my greatest struggle working here. It's driven Pastor Jeremy bonkers. He has a little PTSD when it comes to Pastor Talia when I start feeling uncomfortable in my seat because this is the, this is the mistake I've made. It's not, the mistake was not talking to him about the fact that my seat was uncomfortable. The problem was me not being, the problem was not me being honest with my boss saying, man, what I've been doing for three years, there's like a coil starting to stick me and my blessed assurance, and I really don't want to sit here much longer. In fact, I've got my eyes on that seat right up there. That wasn't the problem. The problem was I misinterpreted what God was really saying, and I thought that in order to move my seats meant I had to find another bus. 
I thought that that meant I wasn't called to be here in at Timber Creek Church anymore. And so I drove our pastor crazy, constantly coming to him saying, I think I'm called here. I don't know. Can you imagine what I put that poor man through? But what I've learned over 21 years is that you can stay in the same bus and move seats. In fact, I believe we're called to go from glory to glory. I do. And, and I think it's healthy and good for you to start in one seat and work your way up to where you could drive that bus. Just don't, like, <laughs> hurt the bus driver and eject him out of the door to get there. Like, do all this the right way, people, all the right way. But the truth of the matter is, it's miserable and it's not as fulfilling to be in the right bus and in the wrong seat. Because you, just, you don't enjoy the ride towards your destination. And the third bus is this. The wrong bus with the wrong seat headed towards the wrong destination. The wrong destination. Now, this is the most miserable place you can be because you don't know where you're going. The seat does not fit you at all. And the bus does not match and is not going to your ultimate destination. This is really important because have you guys ever seen Home Alone Part 2? You guys remember Kevin, old, old Kevin McAllister? You remember the second one, his family goes to Florida, and Kevin gets too busy, and he's like trying to fix the batteries of his Walkman. Does this show you the age of this movie? And he's hustling and he's bustling, and he runs into the stewardess, and he hits her, and what happens? All the tickets go all over the floor, and Kevin accidentally gets on the wrong plane. And he shows up, and he looks out of the window, and he sees all of these scenes from New York, and it dawns on him, I did it again. <laughs> My family's in Florida, and I'm in New York. Oh, you've seen it too. And a lot of us as Christians may echo him this morning. Because as I'm preaching this morning, you already know deep down that, that you're it's not even just about where you live, it's how you're living, and you know it doesn't match the way God has shown you it needs to be, and you know you're called to be in Florida, but you're up here lost in New York, and it's getting dangerous, and I believe the Lord is speaking to some of you this morning saying, it's time, it's time to get on another bus. It's time to get on the right bus that's going in the right direction. Now today, what I want us to do as we finish up this morning is I wanted us to look carefully at one person in the Bible who is famous for what we would say is being on the right bus. But his story is really the story that everyone puts on Facebook when everything went really well. And what you don't know is the story that didn't make it onto Facebook. And this character we're going to look at for the next few minutes, minutes is none other than Moses. I know, right? I mean, the guy who split the Red Sea and told Pharaoh, let my people go. This guy, Moses, before he was a hero, he was a tourist on the wrong bus going in the wrong direction. See, he was saved in a basket by his mom, Jochebed. In fact, the word Moses, the name Moses means drawn up out of the waters because his mom saw that he was called. And, he, and she makes this basket for him and, and she puts him in the water. And, and Moses is then discovered by a princess. He's found by a princess. So he gets found by the princess and he gets to be raised in a palace, in Pharaoh's palace. He's set up and he's primed for success. 
He has everything going in his direction and in his favor. But unfortunately, Moses has one moment of misplaced passion. And I believe this moment of misplaced passion was due to the fact that Moses always understood his calling. I believe that Moses constantly had his eyes on the Israelites. I believe without even knowing it, he had a sense, say a sense, of what God was calling him to do because of what wrecked him and bothered him. What wrecks you this morning? What bothers you? And I'm not, not, I'm not talking about your mother-in-law. I'm talking about what is, what, what is so unjust and wrong in this world and around you that makes you tick? See, Moses couldn't stand to see the Israelites picked on by the Egyptians. And there was one day when he's watching one of the, the Egyptians beat an Israelite, and he has a moment of misplaced passion, and he kills and murders the Egyptian. And thus the story begins. And this moment, Moses enters onto the wrong bus, which takes him far away from the palace into the desert, into a place called Midian. To make matters worse, Moses' job now is tending the sheep of his father-in-law. Oh, dear Lord, he got into the in-law's family business. I can't think of much worse than that. <laughs> And it's tending sheep. Guys, listen, he was in the palace. Like, they were feeding him grapes next to Pharaoh. And now he's taking care of raunchy little sheep for his father-in-law in the desert. And this is where our story picks off. It is in Exodus chapter 3. It's not in your notes, but you guys can just listen. It's, it's Exodus chapter 3, 1 to 4. And this is where Moses runs into his burning bus stop. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Now hang tight. Lean in, guys. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. When God saw Moses respond and take one step closer to what God was revealing, when God saw Moses show an interest in what he had to say. When God saw Moses was willing to leave the sheep and the business for just a moment to, to step closer to what God was doing. It's in that moment. It says, as Moses came to take a closer look, God spoke from in the middle of the bush. And he calls out, Moses, Moses. And Moses replies, how? He says, here I am, Moses replied. Now, this sounds like such an incredible story, doesn't it? I mean, this sounds like Moses is all gun ho and God is speaking in the middle of this bush that doesn't burn. And it's like this miraculous moment that Moses could never deny that God was in. 
But I'm sorry to say that Moses' reply in response to God was not heroic. In fact, it was very human. And as we lean into the rest of the message this morning, let's see if you can identify with maybe one of the different responses that Moses gives God. Really, they were excuses. Yep. In fact, he gives God three protests. He protests with God of why he cannot do what God calls him to do. Because God is calling him from the inside of the bush, from this burning bus stop, to go back to Egypt to lead the Israelites out of slavery from Pharaoh into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses was called to be the man, to be that man, to do it all. And it freaks Moses out, and this is what he says. In Exodus 3.11, Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Israel or uh, the people of Israel out of Egypt. And what we find in this moment, you guys, is as God is calling Moses to go to do something great, all Moses can remember was his failure in the past. All he can do is picture Pharaoh. Come on, think of this moment. He had failed miserably. He's tending sheep now. And the God of the universe shows up to him and says, you're called to go see my people set free. You got to go back to the very place you ran from. And all Moses can do is think about why he can't go back. What are you running from this morning? What part of your past has you so petrified that you cannot look back and see what God needs and wants you to do with it? See, I think a lot of us can identify with Moses with his first protest because no doubt all of us have pain from our past. But God was not fixed on the pain. He was looking at Moses' potential. I love this because some of you are so stuck because all you see is your past. And all you see is the fact that you can't do such and such for a great and wonderful and holy God because your past is so embarrassing. Your past is so painful. And I believe the Lord would say your past is an important ingredient for what I'm making out of you right now. Your your past is an important, vital ingredient in what I need to put in the oven. In fact, you can't do all you've been called to do if you don't acknowledge and deal with your past and let me heal you of it so it can become a trophy that you present to everyone in your future. The second protest that that Moses brings is not just fear of his past, but fear of God not pulling through. He doubts the Lord. He doubts what God says about himself. Have you ever done that? In fact, here's what's crazy. I'm going to read Exodus 3.13, and then I'm going to go to another scripture. It says, but Moses protested again. Listen to this, Timber Creek. He said, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Well, Pastor Talia, that's not really fear of God not pulling through. Well, Tiver Creek, guess what? 
In Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, seven verses earlier, God already told Moses who he was. This is the second time Moses is asking God who he is. And what does that tell us this morning? That you're not the only one that has ever doubted God. God made it clear to him in, three, in, in chapter 3, verse 6, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. And seven verses later, Moses is saying, who are you again? Wait, are you sure? What if they don't? Mm-hmm. But what? And God comes out with a loud, I am who I am. And we cannot let the fear of, of God not pulling through keep us from moving forward into our God-given potential. Protest number three that Moses has, get this one. His third protest is a fear of people. He's afraid of what they think. Say they. Who are they, really? We always say, well, they, they won't like it if I make that decision. Well, they won't, they won't understand if I say that. Well, they won't. They, who is they? Because there's no one more important than he. And what God says is the only thing that we need to cling on to. Moses was so afraid of what the people were going to think. You don't believe me? Look at his first plea. Because here's what happens. Moses now goes from protesting God. Oh my goodness, you guys. He goes into something now far worse. I mean, you would think after three protests and God replying back to him that the dude would get a clue. But watch what happens. Moses now goes into pleading with God. What happens when you're pleading? Like, he goes from protesting to begging God. It says this in verse uh, Exodus 4.10. His first plea was a fear of failure. Listen to what he says. But the Lord, but Moses, what? Pleaded with the Lord. Listen to what he says, Timber Creek. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tucked tongue-tied, and my, wor- my words g- g- get tangled. Then the Lord asks Moses, watch God's response. Who makes, I feel like I need Sean Connery really, really loud as I say this. Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, exclamation mark. Do you see that? God's feeling a little what? He's not afraid. Is he a little frustrated? Yeah. He says, now go. I will be with you, Moses, as you speak. And I will instruct you in what to say. I don't know about you, Timber Creek. But if God said that to me, I think I could run and go. Don't you think? Do you think you could? I mean, after three protests and this plea about his speech, God still in his mercy keeps tennis matching with him back and forth between his doubt and God's faith in him. And God says, I created the mouth. Now go. Now watch what happens next. Moses has the audacity to plea one more time. This is his fifth argument with God. Exodus 4.13 says this, but Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Exodus 4.14 and 16 and 17 is, is God's reply 
to this really scary, scary statement that Moses made. See, all of these protests and pleas led him to his ultimate rejection of his calling and his purpose. And I think the reason this is so heavy on my heart this morning is because there are people in the room and at the sound of my voice that God has called you to do things for him. And they're things that will make such a difference in the lives of so many because we are now the hands and the feet of Jesus. He chooses to work through you and through you and through you and through you to do great things to make a difference in this dark world. And so when we say no to God, the reason it's so scary to me is because of what's not going to now happen as a result. See, you're given a great gift called free will. And you get to choose to obey God or not to, just like Moses. Let's look at what God says in reply to his plea for God to send someone else in his place. Exodus 4, 14, 16, and 17. Listen to this. This is so good. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well, since that's like so important to you, Moses. I guess the God who like created the mouth and helps you see and hear. I guess I can't like fix that for you. But here comes Aaron. Here comes your brother. He speaks well. And look, he's on his way to meet you right now. I've noticed that every time I, I and I've seen this with so many, those moments of greatest doubt, I'll be daggone there's not an Aaron come walking my way to make it easy for me to walk away from God and what he's telling me to do. Well, Pastor Tally, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to lead a group. I mean, God's really put this, this topic on my heart, and, you know, I really feel like I'm supposed to do something with it, but, you know, oh, but really, oh, I heard that so-and-so's going to do another group, and it's kind of like it, and so I think I'm just going to, like, say no to that, and re- maybe I'll just, like, go into Grow Track 1, which is great. But God didn't tell you to go to Grow Track 1. God told you to step up and to pour into someone else and lead a group. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful, you can miss it just like Moses almost did. Look what happens. (laughs) He said, Aaron will now be your spokesman to the people. Now he's going to be your mouthpiece. And you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. This consistent protest, this consistent persistent protest led to Moses receiving a replacement. You see, from from now on, Aaron, his brother, was going to have to receive the, the messages from God to Moses to Aaron to execute it in front of God's people. You didn't know that, huh? Yeah, because we see the Bible stories with Moses doing all of these really cool things, but not all of those are accurate. Because as you study the story, you find out that Moses is literally standing on the sideline. And Aaron's the one with the rod, throwing it down in front of Pharaoh. And Aaron's the one who's getting to do all the neat things in front of the people. And Aaron gets to be the mouthpiece of God. Pastor Talia, where's Moses in the story? He's standing on the sidelines. 
See, your persistent protest against God's purpose will produce your replacement. Did you hear me this morning? Pastor Ty, that's so harsh. That's so, that is biblical. And, and, and I'm saying this to you so you don't have to be Moses. Your persistent pushback, your, your persistent nose to God will produce your replacement. Can you, can you imagine the bus ride home? Moses is in the right bus. He's going to the right destination. He's even in the right seat, but he's sharing his seat with someone else he should never had to share a seat with. Aaron's leaning on his shoulder, drooling, reaching out towards the window, poking, showing him all the things as they're, as they're soaring by, past all of the scenery. He's like the constant Aaron. It's now the constant reminder of what Moses missed out on. And then they arrived at the destination, and it breaks my heart because I just, I imagine Moses in this moment watching someone else do what he was made to do. And I believe that after days of watching Aaron be the man, I believe it stirred up something very deep inside of Moses that God was just waiting would wake him. Because my favorite part of the story is what happens from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. See, what I did is I studied and I even put brackets around every moment from Genesis chapter 3 when Moses protests and his replacement is given. And I studied all of the moments that God spoke to Aaron. And so I highlighted, and God spoke to Aaron, and God spoke to Aaron, and Aaron had to do this, and Aaron did this, and Aaron said, and every time I highlighted, it broke my heart. Because he's living out Moses' moment. But something happened in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Can we read it real quick as I finish this morning? In Exodus 8.20, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses. It's the first time in five chapters that God speaks directly to Moses. And it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Get up. He says, Get up early in the morning and go stand in Pharaoh's way as he goes down to the river. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they can worship me. And it's the most famous quote. One of the most famous moments in, a, in all Bible history. And it's from this verse on that God uses Moses to accomplish his mission. See, I believe in the same way that your persistent protest against God's purpose can produce your replacement. I believe our redeeming God, I believe God's persistent pursuit of your potential will protect and later promote you to your purpose. 
I believe that Moses got so sick of watching him do what he wanted to do. That all of the fear of what people or they thought began to drown in his desire to have him think good things of him in his life and service. I believe all of the losses and the defeats and the insecurities and all of his inadequacies that he had in his mind were gobbled up after five chapters of seeing that this is going to be the life he lives if he doesn't ever get past this stuff. And I believe there are Moseses in the room here this morning. And I believe there are Moseses right there in Duncan and Dyball. And you're not off the hook just because you can't get out of there and get into a different bus. Because there's this great character named Joseph that was stuck in a prison. And God called him to great mission. And as he was faithful to God's mission in that bus, he promoted him later to other buses. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter who you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. That God wants you to hear this morning at Timber Creek Church. He has purpose for you. He has a plan for you. And it's time to get off the wrong bus. Because time is short. And some of you need to understand that what you're missing is not another relationship. What you're missing is not that guy. What you're missing is not a greater increase in pay. Because no money on earth will buy the fulfillment of what doing what God created you to do will pay you. You just sense that in the room here in the Lufkin campus this morning. I believe, I believe some of you are ready to tell Aaron to get away. And I didn't say that in first service, but it's time, Timber Creek. Some of you, you've gone through grow one and grow two and grow three and encounter, and you're still not doing anything to pour back into other people. And the whole reason all of that exists is so that you can fulfill your God-given potential and go wreak havoc in the kingdom of darkness to bring God great glory with your story. How do you do that this morning? How do, how do you get back onto the right bus? If Pastor tell you, I'm moved. Like if I'm being honest with you, I almost hate Aaron. <laughs> I'm so tired of seeing all these other people do great things for God. I feel I'm made for more and I don't know what to do next. Here's what you do. Are you ready? Stop before the day is over. All by yourself at home. Maybe it's in the car. Maybe it's at the end when we have our prayer partners come forward. But please stop and do number one. Ask God what he wants you to do. Ask him. Just ask him. But number two, after you ask him, how about you try this time to obey and follow what he shows you? I was listening to this great man of God who recently just passed away. His name is Reinhard Bonnke. Many of you don't know him, and I hate that you don't look him up. He's incredible. He saw, he's seen 79 million people saved in Africa. The miracles, I don't have time to share all the miracles that God has used this man, used this man to perform. Reinhard Bonnke was, he has a YouTube video. I was watching it the other day, and the crazy thing was, is before I watched the video, can I just be really transparent? I was, I was just starting to feel like, man, am I ever going to be capable of doing all that I feel like God's called me to do? And I began to think of these giants of the faith. 
who've seen so many people saved. And I just begin to think, God, just, I don't want an Aaron, right? Like, <laughs> I want to I fulfill your mission for my life, but how do I get there? Like, how did Reinhard Bonnke do all that? And I felt the Lord speak to me and say, Talia, it was one simple yes at a time. No, and some of that just went over your head. See, it's, it's one simple yes at a time, Timber Creek. Macadocious, Dybald Duncan. It's one yes at a time that helps you get there. And I'm listening to this video, right? And I'm like crying as I'm seeing like all of these. Like, it's overwhelming. Get on there and look at it. It's millions of people like on camera being said. It's crazy. And they interviewed Reinhard Bonnke and they said, Reinhard, what is the secret to your success? <laughs> and Reinhard leans over at the camera. And he said, you know, it's really only one simple yes at a time. And something broke in me. And then I realized that how I've gotten to where I am today, which I'm not seeing 79 million people saved, but all of us right now, you've gotten to where you are with one simple yes at a time, and, and you're going to get to your destination when you say yes to the right bus, and you say yes to the right seat. You say yes to your mission. You say yes to your potential. You say no to convenience. You say no to fear. You say no to Aaron, and you go do what God's called you to do. The third thing, and this is really important, stay on the bus until you arrive at your destination. I know it's going to be tempting when, when the friend you made in the front seat gets off at the destination at the next stop, and there's cool stuff going on outside of the bus. I know it's tempting to want to get off the bus. Can I give you a word of encouragement and warning? I plead with you. Do not get off the bus until you have arrived at your destination. Look at Psalms 57 verse 2 this morning. David said, I cry out to God most high. To God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will fulfill his purpose for me. He will fulfill his purpose for you and for you and for all of us here who call him Lord. And I finish with my favorite scripture. This is my life scripture. It's John 17, 4. And some of you who know me well know that I say it a lot. Let me set up the moment. Jesus is talking to the Father. It's the only chapter where we have this dialogue recorded between Jesus talking to God at this level. And Jesus says in John 17, 4, he looks at the Father and he said, Father, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Oh, do you feel the weight of that? That's my prayer for my life. That's my prayer for my daughter. That's my prayer for my son. That's my prayer for my disciples. That's my prayer for our interns right now and our pastors. That's my prayer for every man and woman at the sound of my voice. 
that you too one day will look at the Father when you see him face to face and you will confidently be able to say, Father, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. If you agree with that, say a good amen this morning. Let's pray. Yes. With every head bowed and every eye closed, some of you, the Holy Spirit is here this morning and he's, he's working in your heart. And what started out with you feeling so bad because you feel like you've missed it or you're not fulfilled, the Lord is now restoring you with hope and curiosity into beginning wanting to ask what he has for you. So can we just capitalize on this moment? Father, in Jesus' name, at every location, we ask you, Lord, to make what is murky and foggy clear. God, would you give us ears that can hear your voice this morning? Oh, God, give us eyes that can see our potential. God, would you give us, Lord, the willingness to obey and the faith to do what you've called us to do? We don't want Aaron. We don't want someone else to live at our mission. Put us in, coach. Put us on the field, Lord. In Jesus' name. And for others of you in the room this morning with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, the first call you need to answer is Jesus' call to you for salvation. And if you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, there is no greater moment than right now. And if you're ready to make that decision, if you, if you would say, Pastor Talia, I, I want Jesus to come into my heart right now. I understand now that I'm made for more and he's the only one who can get me there. If you're ready to ask him into your heart to give up your rights and to make him boss, to make him Lord, to that you believe he's the Messiah, the son of the living God, that he has so many good things for you to do for him. If that's you this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want hands going up all over the place. If you're ready to get off the wrong bus and get onto the right bus, I want every head, every single hand going up all across this room right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every woman and every man whose hands are being raised. And we pray that the power of your Holy Spirit in Nacogdoches and in and Dybal and at Duncan and Lufkin. Oh God, that your Holy Spirit right now would come and just fill their hearts with your presence. Fill your heart with your their hearts with your forgiveness. Wash them clean. Make them brand new in Jesus' name. 2 Corinthians 5:17 says, if any man comes to Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have now passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Yes, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for what you're doing in hearts this morning. We ask that you would continue it throughout this week. God, may we truly get back on the right bus in the right seat headed towards the right destination. And it's in Jesus' name.